two, uh, a month ago it is actually today that I last preached and I preached a morning and evening service from chapter 16 of Numbers. This is the <coughs> complaining and whinging Jews in the wilderness. It's picturing carnal Christians. These are not victorious people. They're not in Canaan. They're not living the life they should be. They're not sanctified. They're not separate. They've just come out of Egypt, out of the world. They've just gotten saved. They've got all these hang-ups that go, go on and on for 40 years in the wilderness. And the Lord is trying to teach them to be rid of these things. Um, <clears throat> these messages, by the way, were prepared in 2004. Okay? I want people to hear that. I did not prepare them for now, and I've been preaching through them to this point. And uh, <clears throat> the two last time and this one were all preached in one sermon. I went back in my records. How, how long did I take to preach them? <laughs> how did I do that? There's about seven full pages. I must have just read the outline <laughs> and got through it. But today we're going back to 12, chapter 12, from chapter 16. So this is the way the Lord has led and directed in the preaching of these. We have looked at several things, or oh, ten things already. We saw Pharaoh's army pursuing hot on the heels of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and they were hemmed in at the Red Sea, and God delivered them. We've seen the bitter... Immediately they said... Why have you brought us out here to die in a wilderness? That, that was their watch cry. That was that, what they were saying all the time to Moses. And then there were the bitter waters. And uh, they were dry, thirsty. Their mouth was dry. And they come upon the waters. They rushed forward. Oh, we can't drink it. It's bitter. And they started griping again. Die in the wilderness. In went the branch and it was healed. And they could drink. Then there was the lack of food. And God sent manna from heaven. There was the lack of water. You brought us out to die in this wilderness. And God supplied the water from the smitten rock. All wonderful pictures. We've looked at them. Won't go into them. Then there was the idolatry. The calf. The golden calf when Moses came, was up on the mountain, came down. And Aaron had him building it, <clears throat> making this calf. <laughs> Love it. I just threw it in the fire and it come out like this. <laughs> Hey, when Christians get out of sorts, they, they don't think straight. <laughs> and they say some silly things. And they did. Well, they did. Whether they were all Christians is another question, isn't it? And <clears throat> Moses said, blot me out of thy book, save them. What, a, what an attitude of a leader. Um, there was hardships in the deserts and they were complaining instead of praying. And the Lord consumed the outer part of the camp. People were dying. And they had to go to prayer immediately, Moses and Aaron. You know, this is what these sort of problems drive us to our knees, don't they? They drove Israel to, to their knees and, and they prayed hard. Uh, <clears throat> then there was the authority challenged of Moses and Aaron by Korah and his crew. And that was in chapter 16. And I don't know if you listened to the second part of that message. It was more pointed than the first half that we did in the service. I feel bad when I preach like that and start nailing things down, but it's the word of God and we've got to say it. I've got to be faithful to God and not fear the faces of men. That's what God said to his preachers. And so again, we come today to this portion of scripture. <clears throat> you remember last time as and just to build the, the point, last time in chapter sixteen of Numbers we saw the rebellion in high places, the mutineers and their methods. The conspiracy of the rebels is given, <clears throat> they rose up, they railed on Moses and Aaron, they resented the calling that they had, they were they were to be the keepers of the tabernacle they were given a particular job they were talented for that job they were to carry things on their shoulders when they moved camp this is what their job was but they wanted the priesthood 
they wanted Aaron's job. And uh, <clears throat> so they were railing and on Moses and Aaron. They were resenting their calling. They, the realisation of Moses that this was, this was happening in verse 10 is seen. They rebelled against God, not man. They rejected Moses' invitation to come and have a meeting and talk about this. Their remonstrance against Moses in verse 13, 14 was seen and they levelled five charges against Moses. This is what we did in the morning service last time. And Moses' resentment of their insolence in verse 15 and 17 is seen. We went into that. In the afternoon service, we looked at the confrontation of the rebels. And as I said at the close of the morning service, I said it's the, 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 the fun just now, not the fun, the contest just now begins. And um, <clears throat> the confrontation of the rebels, the call to separate themselves, the Moses controversy with the rebels, the crushing of the rebels as the earth opened and swallowed them up, the cry of the rebels as they went down live into the pit, it said. They were screaming as they went through, went down. The consummation of the rebels, the senses of the rebels that were left, what are we going to do with these? They, were ma- they made a covering for the altar. For, from them um, <clears throat> then amazingly if you didn't watch if you didn't listen to it but in verse 41 and 43 the next day the people were still alive and didn't get swallowed up started doing it again and you thought you know, well, what happened to your mates yesterday the earth opened up and swallowed them up and crushed them it opened and swallowed hey, <clears throat> I know that um out Brocklesby there at the end of summer on a real dry year, what happens? Cracks. How big does it open up? About that far? Don't want to put your foot in it. But it didn't doesn't close up quick, does it? It's just when it gets wet and but just the dryness it all pulls apart and then it's a big long one. Yeah. But this was a miracle that happened in that day. And <clears throat> but they what, when, do, when do we learn? They didn't learn the lesson. Oh, the, to God that we'd learn the lesson, we don't have to go into the woodshed a second time, <laughs> as uh, we so say. The consuming anger of the Lord was seen, the cessation of the plague as Aaron and Moses made atonement for the people and they were saved from further destruction as God's anger burned against them in that. And the carnage of the mutineers, many more died on that occasion. You can read through that. I summarise that because we move back to chapter 12 of Numbers. If you haven't found it or have lost it, go back there. <clears throat> that Tim read a little bit earlier. Numbers chapter 12, and when you found that, put your marker, and we'll go back to Exodus, Exodus 32 and verse 26. <clears throat> and before we start on the message proper today, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the examples that are written in the Old Testament. These examples are spoken about in the New Testament. Therefore, they are very applicable for us today. I pray, as has already been prayed, that we would take heed, take heart, and uh, take the truth to our lives and apply that today. Lord, let us not be angry at the message or the messenger or at you, but let us be willing to submit ourselves to truth. And Lord, what a wonderful thing it is when we at peace with you as we yield ourselves to you and we we are not carnal Christians walking our own fleshly way but we're submitting to the spirit of the word and the spirit of God in our daily lives and the blessing of God comes upon us minister to those that are here minister to the young ones next door And to those listening in, we thank you for each and every one. Bless your word for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Exodus 32 and verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. This is one occasion we've already covered, but I was reading this as I was reading through the Bible on our holiday, and I thought, look at that. It, it reminded me again of what we'd been through. And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? I wonder where that song came from, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me, and all the sons of who? Levi came unto me, and they gathered themselves together unto him. So this time... This is about 45 days out of Egypt. They've been out of the world for 45 days. Moses drew the line in the sand and said, Who's for me? Who's for the rebels? And the Levites came over to him. Now let's go to chapter 16 of Numbers. We'll go back to chapter 12 in a minute. But I didn't point this out when we were passing through because I hadn't, I hadn't observed it. 16 verses 1 to 3. Now Korah, the sons of Isar, the sons of Kohath, the sons of... The sons of who? Levi. What, who were they back there? The sons of Levi. Same, same fellas. <laughs> and this is one year, one and a half months later. So we could, well, one year, one and a half months out of Egypt. So it's one year later from when they all gathered to Moses and said, we're with you, Moses, we're behind you, we're going to help you. (laughs) How often have I heard that? I had one person, this is years ago, so I can say this, and it's not going to affect anyone. Standing out on my front lawn, and they said to me, if I rebel, and and they likened it to somebody else, and I get out of sorts. Just give me a swift kick. He didn't say any more than that. <laughs> Just give me a swift kick. And you know what he did about 10 years later? He did it. <laughs> but can you give a swift kick to somebody that is out of sorts with the Lord and walking kindly? Not in your life. Because that's not the way to do it anyway. <laughs> and they respond very negatively, as I've observed with other people very negatively <clears throat> they, it just kicks them further on left field instead into the right camp and so here were these people one year later who had all sided with Moses and Aaron now challenging him in verse 2 and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel 250 princes these are important people And we looked at them last time of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation is holy. We're just as important as you. Yes, they had their role to play. They had their gifts to exercise. But they wanted something they weren't exercised Uh, weren't gifted to do every one of them and the Lord is among them wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of Israel well what happened between what happened between chapter 12 and chapter 16 that got these fellas so riled up well I'll tell you if you haven't got to read it lately verse chapter 13 14 and 15 Kadesh Barnea I think that's the biggest one of all the things that happened in the wilderness. That's the big one. And we'll be looking at that in, in time. I won't promise when because we just have to go as we go. Kadesh Barnea is where they sent 12 spies up into the land. And 10 came back with a bad report. Two with a good report, Caleb and Joshua. And then they tried to go up and they got beat up. And they come back and then they start railing on Moses in chapter 16. You see, they rebelled, they copped the consequences, and they didn't like it. (laughs) But they were blaming Moses for it. Bad move. Because they got swallowed up by the earth that opened up. That's what happened between. And I pray that as we go through life and learn the lessons of life that we'd learn easily, we've had children you've had children 
The ones that are more stubborn and determined are the ones that you have to do what with? You're allowed to say it, that you won't be heard by the government. <laughs> you discipline them harder. They, they cop more. That happened in our family. I won't tell you which ones. <laughs> but, you know, some of the children that are harder, you know, are more determined. God can use that in their life. God can use that. As they dedicate and commit themselves to him, that determination to stick to, the, to, to what they believe can be great. But if it's in rebellion, it's not good. <clears throat> and if they didn't learn the first time, what do you have to do the next time? You turn up the heat. It's harder next time. Maybe it's a talking to. I did that. I talked to them first. And they showed them. And then, well, if it, was, if it was just an accident, they knocked the vase off. You know how many old country roses have been broken? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think any of them have been broken. We didn't have them out. <laughs> Had them in cupboard. You know, they, they break something. If it's just a mistake, but if they were fooling around when they had been told not to fool around, then the punishment was more severe. And if they started doing it more... Like, I, like us three boys in the, in the old farmhouse at Emerald. We had a big lounge room. For the day, Grandpa, who built it, was way ahead of his time. He built it in the Depression out of half bricks and a big lounge room. And so on winter's day and cold nights, us three boys played soccer in the lounge room. I mean, in that, yeah, we didn't go in. There was no fire. There was a fireplace, but the fire was in the other room. And so it was pretty cold. And we, we got in there kicking this ball around and... Mum had this, mum didn't have a whole lot of nice things, but she had a nice, what do you call those cabinets? Hey, what? Yeah, like a, yeah, that's it. And it had flat glass and then rounded glass. We're kicking a ball around in the lounge room. What happened? Yeah. (laughs) And it didn't hit the flat one either. It hit the round one. (laughs) Unique. I can't remember getting in a lot of trouble for that. But, (laughs) yeah, it was Bevan or Collins' fault. (laughs) But God knows our heart, why we did it. Our parents, parents, you ought to know your heart of your children and why and what happened and don't just fly off the handle all of a sudden. But here, these people knew what they were doing. We come to this point in chapter 12. Let's, Let's now look at chapter 12, and as I said, this is pre-prepared, 2004, preached in February that year. Challenging God-ordained leadership by the relatives in high position. It was by the rebels in chapter 16, and chapter 12 by the relatives in high positions. The jealousy of Miriam and Aaron is what it comes down to. As, you, as we read in chapter 12 and verse 1, And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman which he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. This is the pretext. This is the excuse for their protest. They had to find something in Moses that they could say, He's wrong. Look, we've nailed him. And when you preach sermons, you talk a lot and you can probably be nailed on things because we're only human. Trust we're guided by the Lord to say what we say when we preach. But here's a pretext, an excuse to protest against Moses' authority. The Ethiopian woman. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21 and 22. The Ethiopian woman. Keep that in mind. Two twenty-one. It reads, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave this Jethro that he met when he came out of Egypt by helping his daughter. He gave Moses Zipporah his daughter, and she bore him a son, and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Go to chapter 4 and verse 2 of Exodus. 
And the Lord said unto him, <clears throat> What is in thine hand? That's not the verse. <laughs> it's talking about the one I'm thinking. Uh, verse 4 to 26. In fact, as you read through that portion there, it's talking about Zipporah, his wife. In chapter 18 of Exodus and verse 2 we read there and her two sons of which the name of one was Gershom for he said I have been an alien in a strange land just like we read earlier and the name of the other was Eliezer for the God of my father said he was mine to help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness. And so here is Moses. He's led the people of Israel out of Egypt. His father-in-law comes to meet him with his daughter, who was Moses' wife, and the two sons. What sort of people, what nationality were these people? Midianites. We have over in... And without any explanation in between, in numbers, that Moses has been challenged by Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister. He married this Ethiopian woman. It seems in between that his first wife had died. We have no record of that, but that's what seems to have happened. And Aaron and Moses were using this as a pretext to pick on Moses. The Cushite woman, Gentile woman. Uh, <clears throat> so it's their pretext. Then verse 2, back in Numbers 12, we read, And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? This sounds just like Korah said in four chapters later, and his mates. Are you the only one that God speaks through? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. Notice that. God's got ears that's listening all the time. <laughs> you know, you might smile at the preacher afterward, but talk about him for, and have him for roast on Sunday lunch. <laughs> God is, hey, God is listening everywhere to all that's been said you know we're not going to get away with it <laughs> keep it in mind now these are not easy preach, uh, portions to preach but they must be preached and so their protest Moses you've got too much authority many people love to have authority but don't want to submit to authority that's the problem in the whole world today that's a problem with nations. That's the problem with families and children. Problem in churches. Problem in government. They want to have authority but don't want to submit to it. And it's increasingly getting so. And it was so in Noah's day, so much so that God had to destroy them all because there was no authority, there's no respect for anybody. For life, for limb, no respect. And... <clears throat> Who is Miriam anyway? Well, she's Moses' older sister. I've got a couple of older sisters. They haven't spoken to me like this. They pray for me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yep, they do. Miriam. She's older. And, and <clears throat> remember Miriam? Miriam could have said, Listen, mate. Moses, brother, whatever she called him. <laughs> I picked you up out of the reeds. I told you, Pharaoh's daughter, to get a maid. I was the one that... You wouldn't exist except for me. I was the one that put you down there. She may have said that. We don't have that record. <laughs> but you can imagine what she's thinking. Listen, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be. So why have you got this authority? And what about Aaron? Well, he's older brother too. Like older sister, older brother. 
And what was he doing that Moses couldn't do? Can you remember? He's a mouthpiece. And he could say to Moses, listen, I'm going to stop talking for you. I'm going to stop being your announcer or your, your, your spokesperson. Who do you think you are, Moses? <laughs> You're the younger brother. You know how it works in families. It's more so when you're in teenage years. Once you get a bit older, you're on an equal par, you know. You're adults now, and you can talk to one another, relate to each other. But here, this sibling rivalry was right there, and they were protesting. And verse 2 tells us about that. Hath he not, has not God spoken by us too? The Lord heard it. Let's go to verse 3, and we see God's proclamation concerning Moses now the man Moses was very what meek what does meek mean like a little church mouse and you know going around with the head bowed and all you know not at all meekness means one that has power but can control it in the application of it that's meekness he could have I'm going to say pull his gun out Pulled his rod out and said, what would you say? But Moses didn't do that. He didn't do it to the people of Israel. He fell on his face and prayed to God for the people when things went against him by them. That's what he did. <clears throat> so we have here this record of what God thinks. He's very meek above all men who are upon the face of the earth. That's quite a recommendation. Now, who wrote this? <laughs> Moses wrote this. You say, well, wait a minute. Of course he could say that. And some people challenge the authorship of this to be Moses because of that. That's the liberals, of course. <laughs> but, yes, he wrote it. But he wrote it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's there. You have to tell the facts, good and bad. And that's what happened. <clears throat> Power under control. He didn't abuse his authority in this. So this is God's proclamation. Verse 7 of, this, of chapter 12. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. God knew Moses' heart. God knew Moses' motives. He is faithful in all his house. He doesn't do it because he wants authority and he wants to wield a big stick. He doesn't, that's not his heart. His heart is one of meekness and one of being faithful. Let's turn to the New Testament now and give it a bit of a personal touch. In Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6, we read this. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, and listen to this, as Moses was faithful in all his house. You get the point? God is talking about Moses here in the New Testament. As Christ was faithful, so Moses was faithful in all his house. What is the one thing you remember Moses for most? There's probably a few things. But right at the end of his life, what did he do? He smote the rock twice in disobedience. Oh, Moses, you know, a person can live all their life faithful. But the one thing that will stand out is this occasion that he messed up. or He just didn't do it right. And God was strong in his judgment upon him. He didn't let him go in to the promised land. For this man, in verse 3, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, insomuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honour than the house. Of course. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, 
as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast to confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So there's the house of Israel and there's the house of the church. The Lord is head of our house, we say. Moses was faithful in all his house. Is not that a requirement? Is not that a biblical requirement for leadership? Let's turn to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a true saying. If the man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop, pastor, elder, whichever phrase you want to use. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, but and not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? God's proclamation to, about Moses, he was faithful in all his house. The, the same principle is applied for church leadership. Faithful in all his house. That's what it says there. Right there for those who are in leadership. <clears throat> what is this preacher, this bishop, this elder to do? Well, according to what the Lord did to Peter in John chapter 21 and the verses around 17, feed my sheep. Be faithful to feed my sheep. Moses was feeding the sheep. Moses got the Ten Commandments. Moses told the people the mind of the Lord. As God spoke to him, he, he gave that to the people. The people actually begged him to do that. Lord, we don't want to talk to God. The mountain is rocking and moving. And uh, we, we're afraid of going face to face with God. You do that and you tell us what, you know, what he said. And so the preacher, he goes in to get and dig in the word of God to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Let's turn to First Peter. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. The leaders of the people of the church today should feed the sheep. Faithful, faithfully doing it. In season and out of season, Paul told Timothy to do it. First Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. I heard one pastor tell me one day that this is the other qualification for leadership. And it's talking about the elders. I didn't agree with him. Anyway, the, el the elders who are among you, I exhort, who also am an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partake of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight of it, not by constraint, but willingly, not of filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. See the attitude that is to be in the heart of the leader. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. In like manner, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elders. So this flows right down, not only for leadership, but right through the church. Be subject one to another. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with what? Humility. That's why a church will work. And will work to the glory of God when people, Christians in that local church, humble themselves under the Lord's hand. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And if you don't, he will. <laughs> He'll help you to, to humble yourselves. Feed the church. So God's proclamation concerning Moses in verses 3 and 7 of Exodus 12 is that he was faithful in all his house. It's repeated in the New Testament. It's, it is to be so for leadership in churches today. To be faithful, to feed the flock of God, to do it all times, in season and out of season, Paul said to Timothy. Let's go back to Exodus 12 and round out these, this chapter. We have in verse 4, through to six these words and the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam come out ye unto the tabernacle of the congregation and the three came out and the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud you know this is this is real 
really happening, God's presence. And God's, God's still present with us today. He's in the camp. And he stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all his house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth. Wow. (laughs) That's a privilege Moses had. There was no denying the reality of God with Moses. It was a mouth-to-mouth conversation, even apparently or plainly, and not in dark speeches, not in things you had to interpret. It was the word given directly to the man Moses. And And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, see what comes now? The warning of the Lord. God's presence and prosecution is seen here. Wherefore, where is it now? In the middle of verse 8, spoken speak. Wherefore, then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I wonder what Aaron and Miriam felt like right then. This is sunk below. I remember being in a church up at Gold Coast many years ago, and it was all on. We didn't know. We were visiting you. You were there. You weren't married to our daughter at that time, were you? <laughs> and um, the preacher got up and and started in on the people. Whoa! Yeah. What's going on here? And I <laughs> and and then then there was a response from the other side. Then the preacher's wife got up and she started a high pitched talking, <laughs> yelling. And other people, oh, what is happening here? I'd never been in a service like this. And the, and the preacher disappeared for a while. He went down behind a something like this because he hid. Well, he was down in there. And then he popped up. Literally popped up. These words come out of his mouth. He was from Victoria, actually, this preacher. I'd known him before he went up north to Queensland. And I, after a while, we realised... Uh, we're on the rebellious side. We're, the church was physically, all the, no, no, um, I better not do that. All the people on one side were against the pastor and all the people on the other side were for the pastor. And we were happy to sit in that side. And I was listening, what's going on here? And it was a doctrinal issue when I finally figured out. And I didn't agree with the pastor, but that was their, their church problem, not mine. And... Um, we talked about that after, didn't we? About what he was teaching that was wrong at that time. But boy, <coughs> they didn't didn't last long. It was all over for him. There was a church in Victoria that was talking about having him come to be their pastor. And I was on the phone. I asked. They said that, and I said, uh, 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 "That's what I said. <laughs> Nothing." And. Uh, they said, why, what, what? I said, I said, this is the doctrine that's a problem. That's what I said. This is the doctrine. You can take it or leave it, take him, take him or, you know, it's your business, not mine. But <clears throat> here the Lord hears when we say things against those that are in the authority, against the servant Moses. Not a wise thing to do. Let's turn to First Timothy. The warning is in the New Testament as well. In chapter 5, verses 1. You see, if the preacher, the pastor, the elder is wrong, God is going to deal with him. Okay? God will deal with that problem. Leave it to the Lord. Verse 1 reads, Rebuke not an elder but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. So it's not that you can't talk, but you need to have respect when you do talk to them. In verse 19 says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And they're not your buddies. 
that you know. You know, we we will go to the people that we know will give the right answer that we want. <laughs> That's human nature. But speak to those that have a balance, who have maturity, when you're going to go and have an accusation against an elder. This is New Testament now. Chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews. Listen to what it says there in verse 7. It reads, Remember them who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And as we said last time, Paul with the Galatian church, when they when he first was there, they would have plucked out their eye if they could have medically done it and given it to him so he could see properly and read properly and preach properly. And then he said, what's happened? You're against me. You're fighting against me. Now what? And you know what he said? Because I tell you the truth, is this what's happened? Because I speak the truth and I'm speaking it in love, and he was pretty pointed, but he still spoke it in love. He was concerned for them. And the preacher is concerned for you. These Galatians were saved through the testimony of the Apostle Paul. But then they turned on him and was devouring him and speaking ill of him. I'm amazed that as you read Paul, as he progressed through life, he had hardly any friends left because he was preaching what God wanted. He was feeding the sheep. He was writing the Bible under inspiration. Verse 17 of chapter 13 of Hebrews also says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You know, I'm looking forward to the Lord's coming. But you know what? I'm a bit hesitant about what's going to happen just after that. The Bema seat. And this verse is becoming, going to become a reality, isn't it, Pastor? Where we have to give an account for people under our leadership, what was said and done. And that's, to me, that's pretty scary. Before the, before the God of the universe happened to give an account of people's behaviour and their response, they're going to be there too if they're Christians. And everybody else in the church is going to be listening. Not just this church, the whole church from Pentecost to the rapture. All ears tuned in. And I figured it out that with the amount of people that are saved throughout church history, and mom was a, a minimum, there's only going to be at a high, in time-wise, if it's during the tribulation, which is seven years, time-wise, there's only going to be at, at the most a half a second each for the judgment. You say, well, it'll be all overdone. Uh, time won't be like it is now. <laughs> and it'll seem like an eternity. You know when you don't like doing something and it seems like it goes on and on? <laughs> But having to give an account, preachers will have to. Those that have abused the flock, those who have lauded it over, and those that have been like Moses, submissive, humble servants of the Lord. Now, I couldn't preach this until I'd had experience in ministry for a lot of years. But I can now. You can you can sack me t- tonight. That's, the government will give me a pension. <laughs> I'm old enough, <laughs> I think. But no, I don't think you'll do that, will you? <laughs> I'm only telling you the truth for your sake. Just follow the truth. Obey the word. Um, the judgment on Miriam happened in verse 9 oh, I don't want to look at the time verse, verse 9 it says there and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and we know what happened what happened to as the Lord came down and his presence was there and they, they, they knew it the cloud was there the Lord was there what happened to Miriam leprosy bang straight away judgment immediate God was incensed that they talked about his man that way. The anger of the Lord was kindled. Remember back in verse 2, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. 
And verse 10, Miriam was inflicted. So God was incensed, Miriam was inflicted, and the cloud departed from the tabernacle, and Miriam became leprous, white as snow. Aaron looked upon Miriam, his sister, and behold, she was leprous. What, what, what happened to a leper in those days? Outside the camp. We'll throw you some food. We're not going near you. Sin. Leprosy is a picture of sin in the camp. And then verse 11 and 12. And Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us. You know, he, he, he at least included himself, not just Miriam. Oh, look, he, she's leprous. I'm not. No. <laughs> he, he thought he might be next. Wherein we have done foolishly. It's good when we know we've done wrong to get on our face before God and say, Lord, forgive me. Like David, when Nathan pointed it out, I have sinned. <laughs> I have sinned. He put his hand up. And Aaron was doing it. And Miriam, of course, was so afraid of what had happened, turning white with leprosy all of a sudden. And so <clears throat> Aaron's imploring Confession there is seen. I've done foolishly. Let her not be as one dead, as good as dead once you had leprosy in that day, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And then Moses' intercession is in verse 13. And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. <sighs> These that tried to put him down a minute ago, what is Moses doing? O oh Lord, forgive them. O oh Lord, lay not this into their charge. Who else said something like that? <laughs> the Lord Jesus on the cross, didn't he? As he was hanging there. Lay not this into their charge. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Good. Moses was a faithful man. What a model of leadership in all his house. And then we get to the last bit in verse 14 and 16. The journey of Israel ceased for seven days. Well, she was cleansed. It was proven that she was cleansed from this leprosy. Everything stopped. When there's sin in the camp, God's blessing stops. The church fails and falters. People don't get saved. Christians don't get sanctified. The young people are distraught with seeing what's happening in the midst of the adults. Oh, how shameful. These adults should have known better and not done this. The sin in the camp. Remember Joshua, in Joshua 7, Achan and the sin in the camp? The whole thing stopped until they got it right. You know, I, I can't help it, but I figured how many people were there? At least 2 million people, 600,000 men beside the women and the children. So at least 2 million people. 2 million people by 7 days. 14 million days lost. And if we live an average life, I wrote it down, if we live for 70 years and 365 days, that's 25,550 days you've got. Teach us to number our days. Huh? 25,500. You divide that into 14 million, you come up with 548 lifetimes lost because Miriam sinned. Everyone grew another seven days. But if you add it all up, that's 548 lifetimes lost just in that one sin. You see, we don't know the consequences of what we do when we do it wrong. What could have been if this wasn't so? The blessing upon the church if these things hadn't happened. The, the blessing upon the house of Israel if these things hadn't happened. You don't sin in a vacuum. Your life, your relationship with the Lord affects me. And my relationship with God affects you. And so watch what we do. Consider these things. It's important and we're not going to get to what I wanted to and conclude. It, it, it's in First Corinthians 3. I had, there was a preacher actually in Wagga 
many years ago. He was an American fellow. He said, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as to babes in Christ. It's plainly in the scripture. This is carnality. This is fleshly living. We shouldn't go there. We should mature. Carnal means fleshly. Flesh-controlled Christians going off in the old man causes major problems. Christians governed by their old carnal nature, not by the spirit. They have not reached anywhere near spiritual maturity. They grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. Willful and wicked in their ways, they are touchy, irritable, prayerless, unread, shallow Christians, satisfying the flesh and not honouring God. A believer who acts and thinks like a non-believer. Galatians 5, with the fruits of the flesh. And verse 17 to 21. Is he truly born again? This is just a summary to the sermon. Examine yourself, person, if you're like that, whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, and 11. There it talks about looking at ourselves. Are we truly saved? At the end of it all, at the end of life, the fire will reveal what sort of judgment. In that portion in Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking to them about being carnal. And then at the end of that chapter, he's talking about the judgment seat. It's no mistake that it's in the same chapter. (laughs) Because judgment one day will come. How are we walking with the Lord? Are we faithful in his house? Are we complaining and griping? The cost and consequences of carnality is what I titled these. I've got it written on an old bit of on the manila folder there with these things inside. The cost and consequences of carnality is 40 years in the wilderness. And it's a high price. Let's just do what God wants. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For your word, and bless it, to our lives, may we be willing to apply and not to get angry, but to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I have sinned, as as here Aaron did. And may we walk in a peaceful relationship with you and one another for the glory of God until Jesus comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.